You're listening to Accent On with Alona Europa, right here on LA Talk Radio. Hi, this is Ilona Europa. Accent On on LA Talk Radio. Accent On, London edition. I think people already know that I'm talking with so many guests all around the world, so it's not surprised that today I chose somebody from USA. But this is not just somebody. This is a person that I know for many, many years. And welcome to the show. Ryan, tell us your full name. Ryan Emhoff. Wonderful. So we will, in this interview, we will show people the journey, your journey, your life journey. You are very, very young and very, very accomplished. So it's so exciting for me to really bring somebody like you to my show, because I'm hoping that you will inspire a lot of, lot of people, and especially that we are recording this interview on World Mental Health Day, October 10th. So our interview is in a way serious, but I think I think people will take something from our interview for themselves. And I'm looking forward to that too. We all need help. We all have problems. Some people have more mental problems. Some people have less of them, but in a lifetime, I'm sure we all eventually need to talk to somebody, friends, doctor, psychiatrist, and you represent all of that. So after completing uh, your Bachelor of Science in Neuroscience at the University of Southern California, Ryan Emhoff has always been deeply interested in the art and medicine. You are also a musician, and I can say, yes, I saw you on a stage. So you are also a writer. Like I mentioned, I'm so proud to tell everybody that I know you for many, many years. And you and my daughter and Natasha Miraya went to the same high school and you both were studying at USC. So I can say I have this, I feel like I have this great time uh, with you. So please, please, please tell me, how did you get interested in filmmaking? You were dreaming about directing, producing and writing a professional feature-length documentary on very, very important topic. I do not want to describe all of that because I really think you need to tell us everything about your project. So maybe the most important question will be, how did you start to make movies? Yeah, well, um, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. And it's Great to, to see you guys, of course. Um, but I, I've been interested in filmmaking for a long, long time, um, kind of back to back to even high school when Natasha and I knew each other and I would make my YouTube videos that are thankfully deleted and will never see the light of day. But I um, was very interested in, in just the camera um, and what someone can do with it. And, um, and so, you know, I kind of always had it in the back of my mind. If I wasn't going to go into medicine, then maybe I would do something in film since I'd always appreciated that as, as an art form um, so deeply. And, um, and I, I didn't really give myself much of an opportunity, even while at USC, which obviously has a, an amazing film school. Um, and I kind of regretted that. So, you know, my gap year right before starting medical school uh, when I was kind of trying out a whole bunch of different careers to really make sure medicine is what I wanted to do. Um, I allowed myself to kind of dip my toes into that a little bit more, uh, started acting on the side and, and really just loved being in that environment. Um, and finally, when you know I came to medical school is kind of never really thought that I would be able to participate in, in filmmaking in a in a major way, at least any time in the near future, even though it was kind of a, a distant, you know, pipe dream for me. Um, but at, um, at my school, uh, Sinequimel Medical College, we, we have a scholarly inquiry um, 
program that's kind of like a, a research track that every student has to do throughout um, the four years. And there's a couple different tracks within that program. And one of them is the humanities track. And so kind of thought, well, you know, in, in undergrad, I did a whole lot of bench work type research in, in different neuroscience or psychology labs. And uh, I was really ready to kind of try something else out. Um, and so originally I thought, well, wouldn't it be amazing to get the school to pay for me to go to India and bring a camera and kind of do a documentary on, uh, on Eastern healing practices and kind of making a documentary that was more, you know, what is, how, how is healing practiced across the world? Um, after doing my best to set that up, I kind of realized there were going to be a lot of issues in terms of feasibility for while I was in school to make that happen. And also, you know, I, I felt like I should probably do something that was a little more closer to home, a little more in my wheelhouse, um, something that was around me at the time. And um, so I had been acutely aware of the uh, very alarming trends of, of mental health statistics in the profession of medicine in general, um, as well as among medical students. Um, and I had also, uh, in my gap year, right before starting school, connected with um, Dr. Pamela Weibel, who's uh, a physician who does a lot of work in um, physician suicide advocacy and, and kind of bringing that uh, problem to light for people. And so, you know, having followed her work and, and having talked to her, I kind of had that on my radar. Um, and when I was at school, I saw it firsthand um, that there were a lot of students around me that were really suffering, especially in that adjustment period when you go from whatever you were doing before, whether, you know, some people uh, just came straight through from undergrad or they had a gap year like me, or some people had entirely different careers before medicine and then decided to, uh, to switch over. And, um, and I, and I noticed that in that transition, there were a lot of people who were really just struggling with uh, the change in lifestyle and the expectations that were there. And, and I think people generally understand that med school is really difficult. <laughs> um, and in some ways there's, there's no way around it because it's uh, a difficult job we're preparing to do, but there's also a lot of systemic factors that, that really um, don't need to be there, but exacerbate the problem. And so in the, um, in the humanities track, I um, decided I wanted to focus on that topic a little bit more still do a documentary so I can still um, kind of engage in filmmaking, but um, I really wanted to focus on medical student mental health and kind of through a bunch of different ways I met um, one student after another who just had incredible passions outside of medicine that, um, that they were participating in, whether they were musicians or dancers and, you know, all, all of these amazing talents. And I, kind of started to think about the connection there between, uh, you know, why are so many people in medicine so amazing at all these other things too? Um, and what happens when they start medical school? Um, and it's something I noticed with myself too, as someone who is also you know, a musician and played piano for many years and noticed how difficult it was for me to keep up with that and how much, um, how much I was struggling when, I wasn't able to engage with music in a, in a meaningful way. Um, so I, you know, wanted to do these interviews with students and see uh, what's going on there. You know, what is that connection? How do, how do these other activities kind of play into who these students are as people? Um, and, uh, and how, how is that going to make them a better physician in the future? Do you think, Ryan, uh, that your friends, all of them have special talents outside of wanting to become doctors? Do you think that all of them have passions that they know that they cannot really 
any more work or uh, develop. And you mentioned you being a musician. Like I mentioned, I saw you on the stage uh, playing piano and you're a writer, you were acting. So you had all of this creativity in you, but medical uh, schools requires probably 110% attention on what you are studying. And this is so, so, so many years. And you will be dealing with not the easiest uh, people's problem, life's problem. You were choosing psychiatry. We'll be uh, talking about the two. So you are going even deeper, deeper into emotional parts of people's bodies and uh, situation that they cannot deal with. So tell me, uh, you picked this topic. You saw the students uh, who probably left behind lots of wonderful hobbies or dreams. You picked a few. So please, how did you pick people that you wanted to talk to? Yeah, so I, um, uh, you know, kind of to answer part of a, an earlier question you asked about, you know, uh, noticing these people around me. Um, I feel like what happens with the selection process to medical school is they really, they look for, you know, quote unquote, well-rounded people. Right. And so they want to see people who have other passions and things that they're good at and things that make them interesting. Um, so it's kind of like that is selected for in the process um, for for a lot of medical schools. But then when you start, it's kind of like, all right, that was great, but you can put that aside now. And now your identity is you're a medical student. That's all you're going to have time for that is the beginning and end of who you are for now. Um, and I think that that's a really big tragedy. And so I noticed that, you know, uh, a lot of people around me had talents that they, you know, some people um, had a, a lot of difficulty finding time to connect with those things. Um, other people, you know, did it here and there and like really, you know, I could see even when I was present sometimes when they were, you know, doing whatever that activity was, and they hadn't in a while, just how, how much it opened them up. And it was like a, a breath of fresh air, you know, after not even realizing you've been underwater. Um, and I, I experienced that too, um, on, on occasions. And so how I actually found these students is, you know, I wanted to, for this film, find people who, uh, had maintained to some degree a really strong connection to that passion because I wanted to figure out how the hell they did that <laughs> um, in this environment so that hopefully other students who haven't been able to maintain that connection can uh, be inspired a little bit more to to pick up that thing again, you know, pick up the violin or pick up the pen and pick up the paintbrush and um, and uh, so, the way I found these specific students was kind of just, it, it all took on a mind of its own as far as how I ended up um, I'm finding them. Because um, in, in some way they're all connected to, uh, to each other. Um, so there's one, one girl who was in um, my class, uh, Michelle Conkley, who's a, a former Paralympic gold medalist swimmer. Um, and I, I had known her since you know, kind of the very beginning of school. And, um, and I thought, okay, well, if I'm making a film that has anything to do with people's outside passions, like, of course, I've got to include her. Um, and then, you know, she mentioned, like, did you, have you heard about this other girl? She's a, an upper year. She used, used to be a ballerina before, um, uh, before coming into medicine. I'm like, no, I haven't. And so she kind of directed me to her. Um, and that was Carrie Walsh, who uh, was former professional ballerina. And oddly enough, there happened to be two former professional ballerinas at um, at our school. And I was just about to move in with the second one, Leanne Doogie, because <laughs> um, uh, I was moving into a house that she was living in, and um, and I, you know, I just also found out that she was, you know, uh, was also a, a ballerina before Madison. Um, and then Carrie pointed me to Kevin Dunn, who was a friend of hers and um, 
and he was also a, a singer songwriter um, and my my former RA um, in in my first year when I was living on campus is Jordan Tumas, who was also a singer songwriter. Um, so kind of all these people came into my life in, in some some way that uh, I didn't even really look for. Um, and uh, so I, I felt like they were the perfect crowd to uh, to see what their stories were. Um, and for the purposes of you know making the 12 minute version, I uh, wasn't able to include all five of them, but in the feature length version, I'll of course um, have them as well as footage from, from other students as well. I will be presenting uh, 12 minutes, the short film documentary on our social media. We'll be having pleasure to listen to your voice because some part of the movies uh, you will need to read for us, especially for people who are listening to Accent On uh, via Elitic Radio. So the full movie, is this all, uh, there will be interview of people and showing uh, that really, even when you work so hard in something, then you need to devote your life into something bigger than life, like being a doctor. All these people are trying coming back from time to time to something that they loved so much before they start studying and becoming a, a doctor. So do you think that the uh, motto of, of your uh, film is that we really can do it all, maybe not perfectly well, but if we stop doing, we probably will be not very happy in the end. What is the message behind the movie? Right. Um, so the the film's title is, is Medice Curate Ipsum, which is the Latin for physician heal thyself. Um, and um, so a lot of it is about kind of taking back some of that power in, in, in our own well-being. And um, so, you know, the, the message there that, you know, you can kind of see in, in the film um, and I'm hoping it'll, you know, be kind of feature length, whatever that means for however it turns out. So maybe hour, hour and a half or something like that. Um, but, um, you know, in, in the longer version, we really can dive a lot deeper into um, these different interviewees, their individual stories. Um, and, you know, we see in, in those interviews, which, you know, I have like over 10 hours worth of, of interviews with them that, you know, if, sifted through and, and just amazing content there. Um, and, you know, they, they've all had their own journey um, in, uh, in kind of growing alongside that activity. Um, and, and it does change, you know, like, uh, like one great example is, was with, you know, the ballerinas that um, one of them, Carrie, she's able to continue doing ballet to some degree. She's not going out and performing, you know, in a company like she was before, but, um, but she still finds time to go to ballet class or to do, you know, like a ballet session uh, in her own home. Um, and on the other hand, Leanne Doogie, who um, is the other ballerina, she doesn't really do ballet so much anymore, but she engages with, you know, her physical body in other ways through, through dance, like she became a Zumba instructor. And so she kind of, um, you know, began to teach that at, um, at our medical school, uh, you know, for other students and as a way of kind of stress relief for other people and just a way to still connect with, with dance. So what is your advice to people who are watching and listening to our show and people who are forgetting and that they had some dreams? And they think it's impossible to bring them back, even in smaller ways or just turning them into something like being a teacher or just changing ballet into, um, you know, different classes of dance. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's that's very on the nose as far as what um, particularly Western society has stepped into as um, this valuation of productivity with self-worth. So we're kind of taught from a very young age that you are what you produce, you know, you are what you make and contribute. Um, 
there is no you beyond that. And if you don't contribute, if you don't produce, you might as well not exist. Um, and, you know, and that's what our schooling, you know, from a very, very young age teaches us um, we have to do is there are standards we have to meet. We are there to work. We are there to perform well in a test and we get, you know, only positive reinforcement for fulfilling metrics that don't define us as human beings, but define us in all these other measurements that aren't really humanistic. And, um, and my, uh, my, one of my chief advisors on the project, Dr. Salvatore Mangione, who uh, is the co-director of humanities at Jefferson, um, he uh, has been an incredible partner in this project and kind of advising me along the way. And, and also just being a voice of sanity for me in the craziness of medicine um, as someone who understands that there is so much more to, uh, to life than what we're doing. And, um, and something that he, you know, kind of always says is, you know, in, especially in some other countries, when, you know, you meet someone that's, you don't generally ask, you know, what do you do? You know, the first question you ask isn't always, you know, what is the job that you perform for society? Um, and so he knows that like in the US, that is exactly the first question you pretty much ask. Um, and so he sometimes screws with people at like cocktail parties and they'll be like, so what do you do? And I'll be like, oh, I love to, you know, engage in, you know, writing or whatever. And, and they're like, you know, and they're kind of confused and they keep asking, no, but like, what do you do? And he'll just keep going on about other things that he enjoys. <laughs> Um, you know, but of course that's, uh, that's what society is kind of asking of us is to, uh, be the chief identity that is good for society from a productivity standpoint, which is your job. Um, and I think medicine is, is no different in that kind of what the expectation is, is that when you become a doctor or you enter into medical training that um, you are going to put this identity above all others and um, and it will come at the expense of, of others too. Um, but something I really want to impress upon people with this film is that uh, we are multi-faceted, multi-dimensional beings, all of us uh, humans, um, and there's no, there's no way we can change that. <laughs> so we can't change that by uh, choosing to only engage with one identity. Um, what instead happens is we suffer. Um, and the way that I kind of analogize it is, you know, if you decided you wanted to increase your brain power and so you cut off all your circulation to your arm, so there's no more blood flow there. There's no more nutrients. Um, there's no more clearing of waste products because you want to strengthen the brain. It's not that your arm just stops working or whatever. It starts to die. Um, and in the process of dying, it's still being attached to you. Um, starts to cause a lot of other problems and affects the rest of your body. Um, you know, so it's not sustainable to say that, oh, I, I know in my heart that I'm a musician among other things too. Uh, but now I'm just going to be a doctor. You, you can't, you can't put that aside. Um, and so, you know, we need space in medicine to explore those other things, to continue to develop those other parts of us, to honor all the different things that make us up as human beings. Um, and, uh, and to go a step further, it's not just about maintaining some base level of like, you know, uh, of mental sanity, but it's actually going to make people better doctors. Uh, the different things that we bring into the field um, through our other identities um, brings us a different dimension that we can see other people that we work with, our patients that we're treating. Um, we see problems in different ways when we have different backgrounds and perspectives and when we have all these different talents that we bring into the work that we do, um, it, it humanizes us, it humanizes our patients, it humanizes the field of medicine, which 
has unfortunately become very, very industrialized. It's it's followed suit with the rest of you know Western society in in this um, this pursuit of the dollar, basically um, that we've all kind of uh, you know subconsciously or otherwise uh, turned to as like our chief religion almost. Um, and um, and that's not a society that mm-hmm. I really want to live in. You mm-hmm. know, that's not a society I want to raise children in. That's not a society I want my patients to live in and my friends to live in. Um, so what I really want, you know, beyond the film and what I hope the film contributes to is, is a cultural shift, um, you know, to be one small part of that, which we definitely need, particularly within the field of medicine, which is we need to make space for these other things. It needs to be part of the expectation of our training that if you want to engage in other parts of your identity, you have the time and space to do that. It's encouraged, it's protected time, um, and it's welcomed into the field. Welcome, Uh, not feel guilty. Please do not feel guilty if you have something else in your life outside of your profession. And like you say, life will be much more much more interesting if we have people who have a hobbies who who can talk in time when it's the private time and we gather that we are not talking about work we are talking who we are outside of the work yes that would be great you have a big big uh, plan ahead of you but i think this is the best time right now to watch your movie ryan can you tell us briefly what is your documentary about Uh, With the alarming rate of suicide and depression among medical trainees and physicians, these exceptional medical students with passions outside of medicine explore how maintaining these other identities will make them happier, healthier, and more empathetic doctors. So if you can, again, give us a title of the movie and prepare us for 12 minutes of really, really interesting documentary uh, that you put together. And after this movie, we'll be continuing with our interview. It's Merice Kurate Ipsum, Physician, Heal Thyself. At the American Psychiatric Association's meeting in 2018, researchers from Columbia University presented their findings after reviewing the previous 10 years of data on physician suicide. They concluded that doctors have the highest suicide rate of any profession. It was estimated that around three to 400 physicians in the U.S. die by suicide every year, which is two and a half to four times the rate of the general population. One year later, the American Medical Association released data revealing that medical students were three times as likely to die by suicide as their peers. Why is this happening? remember at one point being in the hospital and there was this resident who I saw at five in the morning and then again at eight at night and he had told me a few days earlier that he had dogs and I said oh you know how was your dog today I'm I'm sure you've been home to walk him and he said oh no I've been here for 15 hours and I was like really you have he was like yeah I got people like you to take care of as physicians or future physicians we often tell our patients to exercise, to eat well, to take care of your emotional and mental well-being. We miss out on a lot of other things. Um, We miss out on being people. Mental health in medical students is a big issue right now. I kind of was very resistant to engaging in in dance in any way, shape, or form. But as a medical student, uh, we often put those things aside in order to get done what we have to get done. And we're often not practicing what we preach. I mean, so much of med school is focused on achievement, grades, board scores. So often all these other endeavors are things that make us who we are. We often push to the side in order to Um, do what is expected of us as medical students. But if it's not going great and you don't have these other things that can kind of like 
pull you back down to earth. Um, it can really disrupt your your well-being, your sense of self, can become depressed. If we stop, you know, encouraging people to strengthen those assets that they have, then we're all going to regress to being the same type of person and it's our patients who are gonna suffer. When medical students come to me in a crisis, they far too often have the same complaint. A part of me has died. Salvatore Mangione, MD. To explore the impact of the arts and humanities in medicine and how their loss may contribute to poor mental health, we interviewed medical students with incredible passions. These are their stories. Medice curate ipsum, physician heal thyself. Part one, making better doctors. Michelle Conkley, Paralympic gold medalist swimmer. I think my identity as a swimmer definitely will carry over to my confidence, my leadership, um, my ability to perform under pressure as a physician. And I hope that my patients know that I was a com very competitive athlete. Um, I would like to go to a doctor that was a competitive athlete because I would feel like they would understand um, a lot of what I was going through. I think in a lot of ways, training to be a professional swimmer really has helped me deal with traumatic situations because I've done so much training to be calm and in control and trust my training and perform at a competition like the games where there's 15,000 people. And it's something that I had never done before. So kind of preparing for that unknown and having the confidence that you will be fine in that unknown transfers beautifully over to making decisions in the ER in stressful situations. And I feel like I'm able to be very clear headed under pressure and definitively make, um, make decisions. Come down Leanne Dukey, former professional ballerina. I think I would be a totally different person if I hadn't um, if I hadn't danced. Well, I started teaching this the Zumba class through Active Minds about halfway through my first year. I'm really glad that I did because it gave not only myself but I think the other people who came. It gave us all a chance to kind of. Um, not only move around and get some physical exercise and feel good, um, but we also got to come together and talk about what we were going through. And, you know, maybe one of us had a particularly bad day or we had a bad practice test or something was not going our way. And we, you know, we were all going through it so we could all kind of um, relate and, and help each other through a, a tough time. So um, I, I think that that's, that was one of the biggest moments where I think um, my background in, in dance um, really, really helped me through a tough time and I, I hope it helped a few others too. Jordan Tumas, singer, songwriter, and musician. There's a couple of things that growing up music really instilled in me. One was discipline. If you want to be good at anything, you need to practice and practice and practice. You know, my connection was another. So through music, I connected with my family, my, my parents who are from a different generation than I, than I am. And I would say a third thing um, would be that music instilled in me um, just an ability to express myself. It's, it's emotional and it's, it's also a little bit physiological. It's that release of, of the tension, of the stress. Um, it's sort of that when, when, I'm, when I'm singing and when I'm propelling that, that emotion out from me, it's sort of cathartic. Part two, change. What wellness means to me is being balanced in your physical health, spiritual health, emotional health, and intellectual health. Everybody has something about them, 
that that makes them unique and that makes that's going to make them a different kind of doctor. You know, your mental health or your emotional well-being can can suffer um, if you're not kind of cultivating other parts of your life and remembering that you're a dynamic person and you're not just one identity, you, you have many. You know, I've been constantly inspired by people in our class and classes above and below us who, who find themselves passionate about something and they are not willing to let it go um, because it's part of them, it defines them, and it's something that will make them a better doctor. It's intricately linked to your wellness. I mean, I, I, there's really no other way way to say it. We have this Monday afternoon group, Monday at four o'clock, and I know that as part of my week, we're gonna all meet up at the Jefferson Pool and have a little workout. And it's very grounding to have that part of exercise scheduled um, because part of the stress that exercise does incite for me is when am I gonna do it? When one of your, um, one of your identities becomes strained or something becomes difficult. Um, you can kind of lean on these, these other identities that you've had, these other parts of yourself that you've invested in and remind yourself, well, hey, but I'm still, I'm still good at this or I still have this and um, you know, this brings me joy even though this thing over here is not going as well. Um, when I was training, recovery was very important. You have to recover in order to be ready to hit that next training session. And I think that's something that has helped me kind of, I won't say completely avoid burnout, but when I feel a little burnout, I know that I need to take some recovery. And I think a lot of med students, that thought never crosses their mind. Being able to build in some kind of time for students to um, reconnect with those parts of their lives that you know they had before medical school or even if they want to cultivate a new interest or a new hobby. It just has to be something that you consciously do. I've really said that as a challenge to myself to be present when I'm swimming and um, not block everything else out but just let it flow. Really prioritizing that complete break um, is something that I've carried over from swimming. I think I really disengage more than a lot of people and don't look at anything for three hours while I'm in the pool. Whereas for some people during an exam week, that thought is incomprehensible. But I know that I will be able to go back and have a more productive session after that. If it were not for the students being such a huge proponent of humanities here or, or being self-advocates in that sense, I don't know if it would be as strong here as, um, as it is now. You know, people say medicine is an art and a science. Well, this is the art part of it, the, the connection with people. And, you know, in order to get to the end goal of healing someone, you really have to have both. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of schools are starting to catch up on, a lot of medical schools placing more importance on the humanities. And it's not necessarily, you know, solely for the purpose of, oh, so that we, you know, have breaks so that we don't get burned out as physicians. Absolutely true, but it's also to remind us that the people we're treating are actual people and that you cannot be a successful doctor unless you understand that. The practice of medicine is an art, not a trade, a calling, not a business, a calling in which your heart will be exercised equally with your head. Dr. William Osler. Restoring our connection to the parts of ourselves that will make us unique is only one part of the change needed to fix our broken healthcare system, but it is a necessary one. This film is dedicated to all the physicians and medical trainees who have died by suicide. They fought until the end to save a world that still has not realized they are gone. working out the, the details. Wonderful, Ryan. Thank you so much for letting us uh, watch and listen to uh, your movie.
very, very important topic. And one more time, we are talking today to Ryan Emhoff, and he was one of 50 students of 270 to be awarded the Levine Scholarship in Research for his work. And um, I would love to continue with our interview. We have lots of questions and I'm hoping then part two of interview soon uh, we'll be having you again on our show. But for right now, we had two years of COVID and whole world stopped. So many people died. Doctors in hospitals, the hardest job ever. Everybody was watching at doctors like they need to help us to survive. And nobody really knew in the beginning what is COVID and what doctors are fighting against. So you as a student, I'm sure you were in home. Partially you needed to study like most of us via Zoom, via whatever. Um, tell me how your friends and you cope with this period of two years. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a wild time to be in medical training. <laughs> um, that's for sure. Uh, it kind of, um, I was in the middle of a rotation when we were finally sent home. Um, so, you know, I was kind of still in the hospital until finally, you know, Jefferson University made the decision, all the students need to, to go home. Um, and uh, so we did for a few months as they kind of figured things out and then we came back, um, but with a lot of restrictions while we were in the hospital, you know, more so at first, but then pretty quickly it relaxed. Um, you know, and initially we weren't allowed to treat any COVID patients. Um, and then once we were able to get the vaccine, um, you know, they changed that so that we, we can and are, are expected to treat COVID patients. Um, but uh, it's been a very isolating time, you know, for, for everyone, right? Um, and that's definitely true for uh, those of us who are students who are, you know, we're kind of in this in between, especially the you know, those of us who are clinical students, you know, like I am in, in years three or four, three and four of medical school where, you know, we're doing on the job training. Um, so there were limits to what we could do at home, um, of course, for it to be meaningful on the job training. Um, but, uh, you know, there was still so many restrictions. And of course, in our private lives too, of like, well, it's not like we're going out and you know, seeing friends on the weekends anymore and like any of the small amount of things that we might do to relieve stress um, during our training. Uh, so that has been very heavy for me um, and I'm sure a lot of other students too. Um, I, uh, I can't say that I've, you know, coped the best with it um, by any means because it's definitely been very hard to spend so much time inside. Um, and uh, again, being in training where like, you're sometimes just at the hospital and at home and you go back and forth and that's it. <laughs> um, so being kind of extra restricted has been, has been hard. Um, and I think some, some places I definitely made a lot of mistakes were not going outside as much, just in a safe way, of course, like taking a walk, um, you know, which at most any point in the pandemic was okay to do, um, you know, if you were taking precautions. Um, and I, I didn't, and I really should have. Um, and I think I also still need to get outside a lot more, but I think, you know, that's just been, it's been easy for us to be at home um, for, for anyone to kind of just say, oh, well, you know, it is the pandemic. So <laughs> I guess it'll be another day at home instead of just taking a five minute walk. But, um, but yeah, it, it has been difficult. Mm. Or do you recommend meditation? Do you recommend anything for us, you know, who are under so much stress and I think even guilt of this two years that passed us by 
in so sad way. But the young people take two years from the beautiful youth, you know, whoever youth and say two years, you're in prison, you are afraid of your life, you will be losing, you know, two years of your life. This is a petrifying, it's petrifying what's happened to so many young people. And now we are expecting to most of them to go back happy to work, to studying. It's just not like that. We are not the same people like two years ago. We really are not, and I am not too. So doctors have a lot of work uh, in front of them to deal with mental health of, of patients. We are going to doctors and sometimes we don't even want to talk about our issues because we know doctors have bigger problems. Um, not talking about, oh, I cry all day or, or I'm hiding or I'm not leaving house or stuff like that. Uh, it's like no luxury. We For two years, we had no luxury to really seeing a doctor. So everybody didn't even want to uh, approach doctors face to face, impossible. So uh, what we can do, even right now, people say life is easier and better and goes back to normal, but it really is not. So any upbeat ways of having life, maybe starting your day more happy, what we can do from your perspective? Yeah, well, I have, um, I have a partially upbeat answer for you. Um, because I mean, you mentioned, you know, like meditation, and, and I've been very interested in meditation and mindfulness for a long time now. And I, I also a couple of years ago, began teaching it to other students at my medical school. Um, and uh, I have found for me that practice to be incredibly impactful, um, particularly just uh, being mindful, which, you know, there it, it, it kind of is as simple as it sounds, but also isn't. But, but really, it's just being with whatever's there. Um, and I think something that the pandemic has done um, has almost made it a lot easier to to not be mindful to be less mindful because we're spending even more time you know connected to screens um all day and engaging with people so much less engaging with things we like so much less and and on top of that there's just this very heavy backdrop of what's going on in in the world um and uh and so i think in, in a physical sense, we've kind of pulled in. Um, and in an emotional sense, we've, a lot of us, I think, have followed suit there and pulled in even further, you know. And part of what is really powerful about mindfulness is just acknowledging the feelings that are there. Um, and you, know, you mentioned them. You say, do not hide them. You just bring them to the front and say I need to deal with them instead of like keeping them inside and say oh, it's not the time yet maybe mm -hmm. never right I mean it's it's and it's also giving yourself permission to not have to do anything to it you know because we're we feel like you know oh if we have a a, a negative feeling negative emotion that there's something I have to do to fix it um problem solution uh human beings are not built like that and emotions are not that simple. Um, you know, I would also kind of tie this perception back to a lot of our kind of Western, very industrialized thinking of like, oh, there is, you know, here's your anxiety, here's a solution for it, there you go. Um, but what we really fail to do a lot of the time, that is probably the most important thing to do with our emotions is feeling them. You know, it's setting aside time and space that you protect for yourself to do nothing but feeling the things that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And that is really hard for people to do because one, it doesn't feel productive, <laughs> right? It feels like a waste of time. Like, oh, I, you know what? I'm going to go sit there and not do anything um, or, you know, I'm going to go sit there and, and I'm just supposed to feel my feelings and that'll make me feel better. But you know, if you give it, if you give it a good shot, um, what I have found is that just by acknowledging the feelings that are there, you help alleviate them significantly. 
because um, I think we pick up throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the years, a lot of feelings that we don't really keep in the forefront of our mind, but that we are experiencing. And so, you know, what I've noticed for me is when I make that time for myself and I just kind of, you know, I'm in a meditative kind of state and, and try to be mindful of my feelings and just say what's there um, without any judgment, but just to acknowledge and just to feel, um, you know, things will start to come up if I just make the space for it. It'll be like, oh, I'm starting to, you know, feel a sensation in my stomach. What is that about? Um, just approaching it with curiosity of, of what's going on there. Let's see. Um, wh what do you have to tell me? You know, you ask your body, what do you have to tell me? You ask your feelings, what do you have to tell me? Um, and you listen again without an agenda. You're not trying to fix it. You know, there's no X, Y, and Z that you have to do. It's just, I'm here to listen to myself. <laughs> um, and then, you know, that thing will come up and be like, oh, maybe that's a lot of anxiety that I'm feeling, you know, kind of in my stomach area. And then, you know, maybe it's okay to just let myself feel anxious for a little bit. Just feel it. It's I love keep... it, Ryan. This is like the coolest way to end our show, you know? And yes, you are very, very calm obvious but you are also passionate and i think the last uh, moment of our interview shows how passionate you are uh, about what you are talking right now about and i see this is like cool next interview because yes you are right thank you for this advice if you don't feel well you admit that you don't feel well if you are unhappy ask yourself what's going on why admit to that don't feel bad don't feel weak because of that if you you know just ask yourself why are you feeling this way? And it's okay to sometimes feel, like you said, anxiety, angst, and nervousness, or something as a part of our body response to things that we outside of the world and inside of our house. So this was a very special interview. Thank you so much, uh, Ryan, again, uh, for your movie, first and foremost. And please update us anytime when you'll be ready with full-blown movie and I would love to talk to you in the future about the topic of mindfulness I think we can really really learn something uh, from you on this one and what is the best way to contact you yeah so if you're interested in uh, you know funding the project we definitely need uh, some more money to make sure that we can give it all the uh, the professional flair that we'd like um or if you're a medical student out there interested in featuring any of your visual art or any music, uh, feel free to send it along um, to mcti.film at gmail.com. So like Medice Kurate Ipsum, mcti.film at gmail.com. So thank you so much for today. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you so much. You're listening to Accent On with Alona Europa, right here on LA Talk Radio.